So third service kudos. You guys give it when you sing and you worship on Sunday mornings. I got to tell you, you know, I get the privilege, um, you know, to be here for three services and get to worship and enjoy that. And I love that last song and everything. And I'm looking around and like everything, you know, way to do it, way to enter into that. I just appreciate that. Well, good morning to you. I'm so glad that you're here today at Twin Cities Church. We've had a great summer here at Twin Cities. Now, Pastor Ron has been gone most of the summer. And that is not why it's been a great summer, okay? So just so we get clarified that, that's just the lead. And Pastor Ron's been going most of the summer, and we've been blessed to have a number of really excellent guest speakers coming in for us on Sunday mornings. It's been wonderful, and um, I'm not one of those guest speakers. I'm the in-house speaker for this morning, so uh, for better or for worse in the process. But um, we had John Jackson a few weeks ago, the president of William Jessup University, and then our very own Fritz, who's both here as well as at, at William Jessup. And, and next week, I hear that... Um, don't tell, certainly tell John, because we love John Jackson. I heard so many great things and, and, uh, from you guys about him. But this guy next week is an Aussie, uh, someone from Australia, but he actually is teaching at William Jessup, and they say I've heard from people there that he's even better than John. Shh. So um, if you like Australian accents and then people who really love the Lord and can, uh, can bring it in terms of some of their teaching, that'll be next week, so I look forward to that. Today you get me, no accent, but uh, I put on kind of a nice shirt and I thought I'd kind of make you feel at home as we go through this. I'm excited about where we're headed this morning as I get to deal with one of my favorite psalms this morning and it's going to be a great, great time. And um, as I take, took a look at the message that Ron, before he left, kind of put the package together of all the psalms so that we didn't talk about like the exact same thing week after week. And the title of this particular message, as it says on your outline there, is Believing When Life Doesn't Make Sense. And when I saw that title, I smiled because the first question, the first thing that came to my mind is, when does life make sense? I mean, honestly, you just start there, when does life make sense? Now, being the father of five kids, four of them boys, life usually doesn't make sense, or at least very often doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I even reflect last night at about bedtime, my three oldest boys are outside deciding to um, start, have a squirt gun fight. And okay, well, let's put the younger two to bed and um, they'll, you know, at least don't bring any house or mud and, you know, uh, any water or mud into the house. You know, figure if that's something that they can do and keep themselves busy, make good choices. And uh, before they came in, their squirt guns, after a while, I understand, had ice in them and some had salt in them and some all of a sudden had some soda in it. And yes, even Gogurt yogurt made its way into a squirt gun. And yes, you can push it through a power pack squirt gun. So, <clears throat> Life doesn't always make sense when water wars turn into go-gurt wars outside, but uh, things are exciting around our house, right? Well, uh, many years ago, I got a music degree from USC, um, complete with my dad paying some big bucks for tuition, which was extremely tough for him being a UCLA graduate. Try that one on for size. Exactly. That's, that's right what was there. And, and, then, and then for myself, getting called out of the studio music world and by God into full-time ministry in my early 30s life hasn't always made a lot of sense. Well, there are so many ways that life doesn't seem to make sense, almost on a daily basis, some very large ways, some just very moment-to-moment -moment sort of ways, you know? You're driving along, and your car is running just fine, and then it's not. Then it's just not. It decides not to, right? Sometimes that's your computer, too. Things are fine, and then they're not fine, and it doesn't make a lot of sense, you know? Perhaps you get passed over for a job promotion that you truly deserve. You've expected it. They've told you it's there, and then it just doesn't happen. And, like, what was that all about? It doesn't make sense. We're here even in 2013, and we still can't get consistent cell phone reception here in Nevada County. Making sense to you? <laughs> when Tim Lincecum, the San Francisco Giants' former Cy Young winner, who has been atrocious much of the last two seasons, okay, 
and who hadn't won a game this year since June 4th, do the math, that's what, about six weeks, pitches a no-hitter last night. Did you know that? Yeah, a woo up front, even a woo-hoo. Life often doesn't make sense, does it? You know, example after example all around, all around us. But, but since that's true, the whole life doesn't make sense issue, that leads us to the next question. What do you believe about life? Life is out there. It doesn't make sense. What do you believe about it? You see, life's going to continue to happen to you and around you. It's just going to go. But you can actually choose what you believe about life. And so there are really three basic choices, uh, options you can believe. And I want to take a quick look at these three. Now, if you're following along in your outline, this is there. If you want to start taking notes, it's at the top, kind of some introductory material before we dive into Psalm 46. It'll kind of set the stage, set the table, you know, and lay a foundation for where we're headed. So we're going to look, first of all, choose what you believe about life. First of all, the first choice you can make is that life and circumstances control me. This is a belief system that's out there. Life and circumstances control me. Now, this option sees ourselves as kind of spectators, you know, in the grand scheme of life, and we can't really help what happens, you know, to us and, and around us. It sometimes even pulls us kind of into a victim's role, you know, so when, when something bad happens, we, we kind of passively take it in as a victim of life and circumstances. So there's one choice. A second one, a second choice you can believe is that, that I, I can control life and my circumstances. Now this option, this choice looks to put us in the driver's seat, right? This is about us, and we determine our own destiny. Sounds like a movie, right? Determine your destiny. Uh, Through our own efforts, okay, this is through self-will and hard work, plus maybe just a little good old-fashioned luck, right? We can control life and circumstances, and that's another option or choice. Third choice would be this, God. God controls it all. That's a choice. Choose what you believe. God controls it all when it comes to life. Now, this third option, this this puts God in charge, and willingly really allows him uh, and bows to him being in total control of all of life. Now, honestly, this is the one that we all vote for is the right option here, especially here at church on Sunday morning, right? At least on Sunday morning, we'd say, well, yeah, that's the third one. That's the right one. Well, can I be honest with you? The reality is that most of us may say we believe in the third choice, at least on Sunday mornings, but the, uh, this choice, the, the God is in total charge choice, but, but we act like we believe all three of them. Our actions actually say we believe all three of them. Now, catch this important point. What you believe determines how you respond. What you believe determines how you respond. Now, this is a great truth to understand this morning as we get ready to dive into Psalm 46. What you believe determines how you respond. So let's look at some responses to see what beliefs are tied to them. First of all, if you believe that life and circumstances control you, at least a little bit, that was that first belief, the natural outworkings are that you're going to live your life with a great deal of worry and fear. You know, what may happen to you or around you is a total mystery. You're wide-eyed. It's random. Sometimes maybe it's even stacked against you. Nothing you can do about it. And you have much to be anxious for, much to be afraid of, much to keep you up late at night. You see, if you find yourself experiencing a lot of fear and worry in your life, anxiety, then that reveals that you do believe, at least partially, that life and circumstances control you. I can't help it. It's just there. Now, if you believe that you can control life and your circumstances, then you'll live your life with a perfectionism and a determination to give your all until you're exhausted, and then you're going to give some more. You're going to work. You're going to work. You're going to work like a dog. You're going to be stressed beyond belief that you should be doing more, and you'll have a hard time resting, okay? It's work, stress, overperform, worry if you should be working harder, drink more caffeine, dodge your third ulcer, and convince yourself that you really could be trying harder, right? 
that set of responses tell me that you believe that it's about you and you're in control. Okay, so you have to kind of take a look at your life and say, if you're a worrier, a fearful person, someone who has trouble relaxing about life, or if you work like crazy, you know, you're a work like crazy perfectionist spinning your wheels at 100 miles an hour constantly in order to prove that you can control life, then you don't really believe the third choice, that God is totally in control. At least not all the time. You don't believe that. Now, that might bug you a little bit that I just said that, you know. Did Pastor John just say, you know, that I just make you a little bit mad, accuse you of maybe not believing that God is in control? You're saying again, John, I'm in church. Of course I believe in God and that he's in control. Well, I'm just saying let's look at your response and how that's tied to our beliefs, and maybe we've got some disconnect. Well, today, again, we're going to take a look at Psalm 46 to see what a person is like who really does, who really does believe God is in control of it all and all the time. And and today we want to see how we can allow God to transform us into that sort of person today and beyond today. How can God turn us into that kind of person where our beliefs and our behaviors, our responses are tied together in God and under God? Well, first of all, then, we're going to kick into Psalm 46. When I believe God is in total control, number one, I will not be afraid. I will not be afraid. Now, this is the first characteristic of someone who believes God is in total control. I just, I flat out will not be afraid. And, and not just during the day when the sun is out and the birds are singing, you know, the sun is shining, everything's just going wonderful, you know, things are great. Not just when things are going my way. I will not be afraid even with ginormous disasters all around. Go ahead and write that down in the blank, ginormous. You see, true confessions, I've always wanted to work the word ginormous into a message outline, so I'm pretty excited that I pulled it off this morning. (laughs) Middle of the week, big smile on my face, thought, yeah, and it even fits. You know, it's not contrived, it is right here, Psalm 46 in the Hebrew, ginormous. We'll take a look, okay? Well, kind of, but you'll see. So the, the issue here is that I will not be afraid even with ginormous disasters all around. Well, let's look at Psalm 46. We're going to start at verse 1. If you have your Bible, you can open there. We're going to spend the entire time and cover the whole psalm. It's short, like 11 verses, and we'll do that today. So starting at verse 1, it says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Selah. Now, here is this great statement made about God, and it's so powerful that it ends with that Hebrew word Selah that we bump into sometimes in the Psalms. We see it at the bottom there. Now, it's a word that we've chosen not to translate because it's kind of almost not translatable from the Hebrew, so we kind of transliterate it and we throw it out there. But let me explain explain to you what that means. Selah really means to pause and reflect on what has just been written or what has just been said and spoken by God. And it's used to follow profound statements when God doesn't want us to rush through a thought, okay? So this is what happens. We tend to read and then go on to the next thing. On the next thing, God goes, wait! You rush through that. It's more important than that. I don't think you got it. Stop. Selah. Pause. Reflect. Meditate. Oh... Ooh, that's good. Mmm. Okay, that's Selah. Okay, so when you're reading a psalm, when you hit Selah, don't skip over it. That's, you can't skip it and move on. You've got to stop, at least for a second, and acknowledge, well, I know why that's there. Pastor John taught me. <laughs> okay, if there was music going on and we heard a verse, it would be, okay, hold it. Stop singing because we don't need any words. Players, play a little bit. Because we've got to, we got to, mmm, what do we just say and sing? Ooh, that's good. Mmm, that's deep. What does that really mean? 
That's Selah, and that's why it's there, okay? This chapter, this, excuse me, this psalm, Psalm 46, has three sections that each end with a mmm, Selah moment, okay? Just going to point that out as we go through that. Now, so we have a Selah moment. What is it talking about? It says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Now, that term very present here means, I love this, abundantly available, okay? abundantly available. And I love that God is abundantly available to help us when we're in trouble. So we will not fear. Okay. God, God, it says a very present. He's not just sometimes around a little bit to help us. Maybe a little bit. If you need some help, I'll think, see if I have some time. Always there, abundantly available, always there more than you need him. And he's going to help you. And he's able to help you more than you need. That's what abundantly available is. That's who God is. And so for a God who's always there for your every need, able to be there all the time, more than you need, big, big, bigger, it's hard to be afraid of. Because God's there, right? That's what this is saying. That's what this is saying here. And so uh, we don't need to be afraid. We will not fear. So now here comes the ginormous disasters part. God says, I won't just help you with the small troubles in life. I am abundantly available to help you through, though the earth give way. It says right here, though the earth give way. And it sounds like a major earthquake, doesn't it? (laughs) You know, have any of you been in a major earthquake? Like big time, whoa, scary. Yeah, I was two miles from the epicenter in 1994 down in Northridge. I was receded two miles away and got woken up by, whoa, ginormous. You know what I mean? It was scary thinking, okay, Lord, this is it right? Scary right there. That's what they're talking about here. That's what God's saying. Though this happened, it's scary, and uh, God will be abundantly available even though the mountains fall into the sea, though the oceans roar, uh, the heart, uh, excuse me, I lost my place through that. I'm going to read it off my text here. Though the mountains and the sea fall into the sea, though the oceans roar, though the mountains tremble. This is ginormous trouble we're reading about, and God says, don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. I got it. I got your back. I got your front. I got it all. Okay, Picture a time when there's not near as much stuff. We don't have all of our cars and houses and all this stuff. It's a very rural, just kind of like life is creation. And there's this picture that God makes of when you look around, what do you see? You don't see big buildings. You see things like mountains and oceans and stuff. So if everything you see goes topsy-turvy, mountains that are big. Okay, earthquakes start happening. We've been through those. They're scary, but okay. But mountains, which are mountains, fall into the sea. I've never seen that. Have you? (laughs) Mountains into the sea. Seas start rising up. Chaos everywhere. This is crazy stuff. God says so. Because I'm your fortress, I'm your refuge, this is what's here. Though all these things happen, I'm your refuge and strength, I'm abundantly available for you. There is nothing to be afraid of, even in the midst of ginormous disasters. Selah. Oh, selah, it's a selah moment. You can't, okay, John, what's next? What's the second point? No, no, no. What are you worried about so much? You know what I mean? That relationship that's not going well, is it going to work out? And am I going to have enough money to pay the bills through the end of the month? And oh, goodness, and I'm kind of afraid of what am I, for my kids going to turn out? And what about my grandkids? And... Selah. This isn't going to play well on the radio. They're quiet. They'll, they'll cut this out. We don't have to. Hmm. God says, don't rush past this. Don't go, yeah, 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 what's next? Stop. Selah, take a moment and go, what's life like? How do you live your life in such a way that you believe that life is in control and things and circumstances? Because it's not. I will not be afraid. Because God is in control. God is in control. 
Second, when I believe God is in control, second point here out of Psalm 46 is that I am refreshed. I am refreshed, okay? Not only will I not be afraid, but I, God is actually going to refresh me. Now, okay, I got a little job for you. Enter in with me here. Right after you write down the word refreshed on your outline, if you're taking notes, I want you to put your pen down. And don't worry if no one else does it. You do it. I want you to close your eyes, okay? What if the person thinks I'm weird? Who cares? Okay, so you're going to close your eyes. Do this with me. I'm going to keep my eyes open, but you close them. And I want you to picture the most refreshing thing that you can think of, okay, right now. Maybe it's a cool dip in a mountain lake on a hot day or or just being by a cool stream with a waterfall and and maybe you hear some crickets or some birds singing, oh, this is nice. Maybe it's a, a double scoop ice cream cone on that same hot day. Maybe, maybe it's a, a tall, cold glass of lemonade or iced tea when you're really thirsty on that hot summer day. And I know some of you are about ready to stand up and run out of here right now to get some of that refreshment talking about hot days, but, but hold on. Being refreshed is sometimes different. Maybe it's experiencing a calm in the midst of a storm that's been going for a while in your life. Or, or maybe it's some peace and quiet when everything has been so noisy for so long. Oh, the quiet is refreshing. Sometimes it's refreshing to hear someone simply speak the truth when everyone around us seems to be telling us lies. Ah. Well, go ahead and open your eyes. I don't want you falling asleep. <laughs> John, I was just having an extended Selah moment there. <laughs> Go ahead and open your eyes. We think about being refreshed, and it's a wonderful thing. You didn't actually even go to any of those places, but it almost was oh, almost like you were there in that stream or near that lake or whatever. It was right there. Refreshing is a wonderful thing, but it doesn't come often enough, does it? I mean, it lies, at least not in our day-to-day lives. We find ourselves getting worn out and worn down. And, but you see, when you believe God is in total control, you can be refreshed daily. In fact, many times in the same day. And get this, you can be refreshed by God even through current cultural chaos. Go ahead and write cultural down there. Even through current cultural chaos. Now, that's what Psalm 46 tells us, that God refreshes us not just with a glass of ice water occasionally, you know, but he can refresh us all the time in huge ways. And that's even in the midst of a culture that is so anti-Christian. I guess this is my perspective right now in the U.S. It seems to be so anti-Christian that it makes, it sometimes makes us feel like we're fighting for our lives, you know? It's just all around and it's crazy in our lives. That's what Psalm 46 talks about. Let's pick it up at verse 4, right where we stopped. It says this, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And what does it say? Selah. It's there. It's there. Another great truth shared about God. Another great promise about God being in control. So selah, just for a bit. Chill and let it sink in. But, but what are the details of the refreshment that he's talking about? Because I'm hearing about a city and a stream and a river, and it sounds kind of like poetry, and you lost me. Okay, let's unpack this a bit because it absolutely applies to us today. What are the details? Let's look closer at these verses. First of all, it talks about there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Do you know what the city of God is that he's talking about? He's not talking about Jerusalem. He's not talking about Zion. You don't need to go deep theologically. It's simply this. If you're a follower of Jesus and the family of God, he's talking about you. He's talking about collectively us, you individually and us. And so now reread. There is a river whose streams make glad you, us. Oh, 
Now, if you were living in the desert in old times, what would, what would refresh you? Water, clean water for drinking, for cooking, for bathing, for, for, for cleaning, for any sort of thing that you'd like to do. It'd be a wonderful thing. It's called life, isn't it? Clean water for life that's there. And so what this is saying is we, we Christians, we are made glad and refreshed by the river that God provides for us. And that's what the river is. It's refreshment, the drinking and cleansing water, you know, and, and, uh, and God is in our midst. Did you get that? He's not off in some city. God is watching us from a distance. That old song that I used to hated that song. Musically, it was okay, but the lyrics were ridiculous. God is watching us from a distance. No, he's not. He's right here in their midst. First of all, he's inside you if you're a follower of Jesus, but collectively he's here in our midst and he's right there and I can go, all right, God's right here, you know? It's a big deal. You know, in the Bible times, if a city, because now let's think about believers as a city, okay? If a city was attacked, if it was a fortress, because God's our fortress, we're inside the walls and a city was attacked and they lay siege to us. If we don't have a water source inside, we're in trouble, aren't we? We're not going to last too long. We may have some food, but without water, oh, we surrender, right? We got a great source of water coming in, coming through, originating there. It's like, go ahead and lay siege, pal. We are fine for a lot of long, long time, right? We can relax, at least on that terms, right? So that's what kind of is talking here too. God says, I'm going to refresh you in this city. I'm going to be here for you. I'm going to give you this great source of water, but also it's protection, okay? It's protection. God's saying, hey, children, I'm going to provide refreshment when and where you need it most, you don't have to worry. And it also says that God will help us. Uh, God will help her. That's us. When morning dawns. God will help us when morning dawns. Now, there's two parts to this here, two keys here. First of all, this. Catch this. The darkness you are experiencing in life right now won't last forever. That's God's promise. Now, some of you are saying, what darkness are you talking about, John? And some of the rest of you are saying, you're talking about the darkness, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of us, some of you are really in a dark time in your life right now, and maybe you just entered into it, or maybe you've been experiencing it for a long, long time, and you're going, like, God, is this ever going to end? God's saying, yes, it is. That's his promise to you right now. He says, I'm bringing a new day. I'm bringing a new dawn. Dawn will come, and this might be the one promise you need to hear today, folks, if this is you. Dawn will come, a new day, and with it, refreshment and help abundantly available help from God because he loves you. Well, the second part of this, the second part of this about the dawn is that we talked about being a city and being attacked. Attacks in those days would come when the sun would come up because when it's dark, you can't see anything. You know, there's no smart weapons. Your smart weapon is hopefully my spear is sharp, you know, or, a, or arrows and swords. So the sun would come up and charge. It would happen every time, you know, just that's just kind of what they did. So God's saying, sun's going to come up, dawn's coming, the enemy's going to charge, bring it. <laughs> he says, bring it because I'm here and I'm going to handle this thing. I am with you when you're at your most vulnerable, when you feel the most vulnerable, when you feel the danger is at its highest height. I am not going to be gone. I'm going to be standing there with you right now. It's a big deal. I am going to protect you. You see, we have the Lord of hosts with us as our fortress. Now we see here, it says that the nations rage. Uh, the nations rage against God. They're not just angry. The nations rage against God. The kingdoms totter, but God utters his voice whenever he wants, however he wants, and the earth melts. Does that sound like he's in control? A little kingdom, which is a part of the big earth, does their little thing, rage against God, God this, God that, and God goes, ha, done. If he wants to. He's in control. He's, he's that way. He's in control even when the world rages around us. So, so here's how I see Psalm 46 working for 2013. We live in a time of, you wrote it down, current cultural chaos. Can I hear an amen to that? I mean, look around. All right, so amen. 
You know, it, things are chaotic around us. They just don't make sense. And they seem to be getting worse, right? <laughs> the world seems to be getting, it, the world isn't what it used to be. The United States doesn't seem to be what it used to be. California, to, you know, on and on and on. It goes, last service I was reflecting, man, I'm starting to sound old. Remember the good old days, you know, when, when things were so, but doesn't it seem that way? Like the good old days aren't like 50 years old anymore. They're like just 10 years ago, it seemed like the good old days compared to today. It's getting so bad, you know, and, and, and it goes on and it doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense to you, but it does to God. It does to God. He understands that the nations, nations rage against godly values. They rage against us. They rage against Jesus. And as chaotic as it is, God offers refreshment during the time, during the siege. He says, there's Selah, there's refreshment offered here. And, and I don't need to worry and get all chaotic myself. Neither do I need to understand it all and why things are happening the way they are. The nations are raging, but God is our fortress. So why so often when the nations start to rage against God and life and my, my faith and whatever else, do I start raging too? God says, well, no, no, they're the ones that are raging. What are you doing? I, I'm in charge. Let them rage because they're going to do that because that's what the world does. Relax. And how chaotic is our world that rages against the things of God? You see, it isn't just that the world's crazy. It's directly a direct affront to God that says, I'm going to live life the way I want to live. Right is wrong. Up is down. It doesn't matter. I'm going to do what I want to do. And all of a sudden, everything is different. And it isn't just happenstance. It's raging against God that says, I will be accountable to no one, and I will do what I want to do. And it's flat-out evil. I ran across a story this week. Someone mentioned it to me. I had to go online, and it turned my stomach. And um, just two weeks ago, June 30th in Brazil, it's a soccer story, okay? So, you know, somehow things get crazy in the soccer world in South America, and I thought, oh, it's one of these big stadiums. It wasn't when I did the research. It wasn't one of those 100,000 people in a stadium. It was some, some little town up in the hills in Brazil, an amateur soccer match, okay? So picture just a little thing going on of adults playing. And this match happens, and this 20-year-old referee, and he has his name and all that. I'll leave it all out. 20-year-old referee uh, kicks out a player, one of the popular players on one of the teams, one of the better players. Red cards him, he's out circumstances don't matter. And at this point, then the 31-year-old soccer player gets so mad that he, uh, he flat out jumps and throws him to the ground, the ref to the ground. And you're like, wait, for what? You know, are you kidding me? Okay, this is just the beginning because then the referee stands up and I'm not sure why he was carrying one, but he pulled out his knife and stabs the player. Is that what you carry to the games down there? <laughs> referee has his knife, stabs a player who ends up getting transported, however he does, to the hospital, ends up actually dying. And so the, so the player dies. Amateur soccer game, Smallsville, Brazil. What? Gets worse. Because at this point now, some other players and spectators then rush the ref and uh, tie him up by his arms and his legs while one man hits the ref over the head with a spike that he had. Someone else breaks a bottle on his face. And if you have a little kid with you and you don't want gruesome, cover their ears for a second, guys. But this just happened a couple weeks ago here, you know. Another man then takes the knife that had been used to stab the player and stabs the referee in the neck. Um, a third spectator then used a sickle to cut off the ref's arms, legs, and head, which he placed on a spike in the middle of the field. All over a player getting red carded at an amateur soccer game? Are you kidding me? I read this thing going, I wouldn't even play in the movies. It's horrendous. What is going on these days? I don't understand it, but, but, but I have a choice to make. I can fall apart and go crazy and start raging too, or I can, 
or I can know that God is my protector and my refresher, and I can take a moment and focus on him, acknowledge that he is in control, a mighty fortress, and I can say, thank you, Lord, for taking such good care of me. (sighs) And if you find yourself as the kind of person that when you meet someone you haven't met in a while, you know, a friend, you start talking that you're one who immediately starts talking about how bad things are. Man, the gas price is going up, and I can't believe the economy, and uh, and then the decision the court's made, that kind of stuff, because it's just good small talk. You need to stop that. Isn't there better things to talk about? You're getting drawn into the rage. You're falling prey to to a world that controls you, and it does not, unless you let it. So don't let it, okay? Choose to talk about something else. Choose to focus and to set your mind on other things, okay? Wonderful encouragement for you. It's a Selah time. God says, cultural chaos. Wait a second. Here's refreshment. Here's context. Here's everything. Sit down and Selah. It's time to stop letting the madness control your mind and your life and be refreshed. Now, when I truly believe that God is in total control, I will not be afraid. I will be refreshed. And third, I can rest in him. I can rest in him. And don't those words sound great, all of those? You know, no fear, refreshment and protection, and now rest. I mean, it's what I long for in my life. What about you? Remember, I got five kids, five young kids, four boys, so the whole rest thing's a big deal, right? And I don't just mean resting at night when you're exhausted, although I don't want to undersell the value of a good night's sleep. This is full body, soul, and spirit rest, the kind that brings peace and extends life and makes life so much better. And this rest is available to you as a believer, ready? Even when I feel like I have to do it all, even when I feel like I have to do it all, I can find rest. Now, you know what I mean by that. This is dealing with those of us that feel like the harder we work, the more we'll get done for God. You know, the more he'll love us, the more he'll be able to use us, and certainly the better we'll look for other Christians and other people, and on and on and on it goes, but it never stops because we can always work a little harder, pray a little bit more, do a little bit more Bible study, serve the Lord a little bit more, just work at work a little bit more, and on we go. And, and God, and, 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 and it just continues, you know, and God has something to say to those of us trapped on that always spinning hamster wheel that spins and spins and spins and spins, and God wants to say, stop it! Stop it, stop it, stop it! This is in the Hebrew. This absolutely is in Psalm 46. The craziness of, of, of this and this, and I've got it, and I've got it, and God says, stop it! Take a look. Psalm 46, picking up at verse 8. Sorry, I'm a little excited this morning. (laughs) Well, no apology, just there it is. (laughs) Acknowledgement. It says this, Come, behold the works of the Lord. This is almost now in the future looking back. Look at the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. That means all of them. (laughs) He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. In other words, God is God in charge of it all for eternity. Listen, God is the undisputed champion. There has never been a question of that. Now listen to what he says. He says, look at who I am and what I've done and what I will do. And now as for you, now we pick it back up in Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. I, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The, the God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Listen, be still and know that I am God. The be still here simply means Stop it! That's exactly what it means. It means literally in the Hebrew, stop doing what you're doing and start doing what you're not doing. 
One translation translates it, one version of the Bible translates it as seize striving, seize, seize and desist, seize striving. Start working so hard, stop, excuse me, not start. Stop working so hard, stop trying so hard, stop being so afraid, stop being so busy, stop, 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 stop it. You ain't God. God is God, our mighty fortress, the God of Jacob. He is the one who, were you the one who made the wars desist? Are you the one who worked the desolations on the earth? That was not you. Stop it. Stop it. Be still and know that I, Jehovah, am God, not you. You see, knowing that he is God is, is partially factual knowledge. Be still and know that I'm God. Well, John, I know he's God. Well, that's your head going, I know he's God. It's kind of the, you know, my head does that. Knowing that he is God is factual knowledge, but it also implies commitment. It's head tied to your heart. Don't just know about God and know how cool and awesome and huge he is. Commit to him as your refuge, refuge as your strength, as your protection, as your ultimate Lord. See, God says, I will be exalted among all the nations of the earth. I am the Lord of hosts. And God's saying, I'm not worried about how this this will turn out. Why are you worried? (laughs) Be still and know that I am God. Commit to me as God and receive rest, refreshment, peace, protection, and the removal of your worry and fear. Is that a Selah moment or what? That is a Selah moment, not just to go, sounds good next. Stop it. Stop it and stop and say la and reflect. I want to actually prompt a moment like that for us, an extra moment like that this morning. Psalm 46 was the inspiration for Martin Luther writing that great hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. If you've been in the church circles, I grew up in the church, you've heard that, A Mighty Fortress is Our You know, and to be done well, it's like full orchestra with lots of brass and choir singing loud, and it's just because God is mighty, and it's a big, mighty hymn. It's an awesome hymn. A number of years ago, um, I myself wrote a song, remember my music passed, I wrote a song out of Psalm 46 that really dealt a little less with, well, the bigness of God, but then more of the be still, what's my response? Because my response hasn't been great and still isn't all the time. I tend to get too worked up and the things we're talking about. So God, God put the song on my heart and I wrote this. And now here's the deal. Um, I'm going to play and sing it for you today on one condition that this isn't about me. I don't, I told every service, I don't want to get cards from you afterwards going, I didn't know John could sing. Because if this is you going, wow, I didn't know he was a musician, then you missed it. And that's not why I'm doing it, and I just won't. We'll just pass and pray here. But I believe that God wants to give us a Selah moment right now. So as I do this, the lyrics will be on the screen, simple. They're right out of Psalm 46, pretty much. Um, You can look at the lyrics if you want, or you can just close your eyes. Some people have done that in the past services. And just have a Selah moment. Reflect on what's being said. Be still and know that I am God. And allow that to sink in. And the truth of what God has wanted to share with you today Um, This is about what God wants to say to you right now. If we have a deal, I'm going to go ahead to the piano.
from the storm. He is the rock, our source of strength. Though the world may fall apart, I will not be afraid, for he is always right here by my side. Be still and know that he God, be still and know that He is God. Leave the world behind you, sit quiet at His feet. Be still and know that He is God. Be still and know that He is God. God, take all the noise around you and turn it into praise. Be still and know that he is God. Be still and know that he is God. And let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for the Selah moment. And that's not a moment so much that you provide because you're always available for that, but thank you that we've had a chance to enter into that. God, we need to choose to do that. And so today, Father, we've had a chance to to hear some stories, to hear... Psalm 46 unpacked for today and realize that maybe just maybe we haven't always believed that you totally are in control. God, we've been stuck in worry and we've been stuck in fear and anxiety or we've been stuck in this work and this routine of of doing so much to make things better and to somehow prove our worth for you and to others. The reality is, God, you love us and you are in control. You are our mighty fortress and we're grateful for that. Lord, I pray that you change us as a result of today. Father, we not just hear some words and then leave today, but through a Selah moment, your Holy Spirit talks to us and changes us. We're so grateful to be in your family. And I just want to say maybe you're sitting here right now at, at Twin Cities Church and you've never had a moment where you've given your life to Jesus. What you've heard about today is what is available that God gives to those who have followed Jesus with their lives that are in God's family. He desires to be in your life in the ways we've talked about, to give you the refreshment and the rest and the freedom from fear. And you can make that choice today very simply. It's not by praying any magic words or doing anything ritualistic, simply by opening your heart to him, having a Selah moment where you open your heart and say, I believe in Jesus. This God, this mighty fortress came in the form of man down to earth, Jesus, and lived this perfect life and died for us so that we don't have to. You can choose to believe that, to thank him for his death and his resurrected life, 
And then ask for his forgiveness and ask for his leadership in your life. And as you submit to him, he comes into you and he gives you that eternal rest and begins that process that we've just talked about here on earth. Father, thank you that you love us so much. We don't deserve it, but we'll gladly receive it. In Jesus' name, amen.